in 2017 we came here to the US and we uh, we were faced with the Muslim ban, the travel ban, uh, where my family and I were deported back to Iraq because of uh, the country we were born in and the religion we had uh, as part of the executive order at the time. Uh, and since then, basically, I was, I think I was thrown into this political debate and this a very heated conversation about immigration and refugees in the U.S. And at the time, I had to advocate for my family out of necessity and out of survivorship uh, to share the story of my family in order for us to get back here again and for my story to be for my family's story to be heard. Welcome back to Let's Give a Damn. I'm your host and your friend, Nick LaPara. So happy you're here. Every single week on this podcast, I aim to share the stories of amazing damn givers from all walks of life and from all over the globe so that you'll be inspired to give more dams than ever before. Today, November 6th, in the year of our Lord 2018, it is Midterm Elections Day here in America. I love, love, love our global listeners, but since most of our listeners are Americans, I want to say this to you right here and now. No matter who you are or where you land politically, I hope you voted. It is our right and one we must never take for granted. That being said, I hope you are voting for equality and justice for all people in this election, not just equality for some people. I have the rest of this year's podcasts already recorded and ready to go, but I did push one out of the way in order to make room for this one. And I am purposefully releasing, not because it'll sway anyone's vote, most of you have already voted at this point, I imagine, I'm releasing it today as more of a symbolic gesture of what I would like to see more of in our country and in our world in the future. I won't say much about our guests because I'll give too much away if I get going, but I will say this. Today, you'll get to meet two amazing humans, Binyad Sharif and Maggie Anderson. Binyad is a refugee, a Muslim refugee from Iraq, and Maggie is a former anti-immigrant, anti-refugee, massive Trump supporter. What happened after these two met a few months ago is amazing. Again, no matter where you learn, we are going to learn so much about kindness, about empathy, about friendship, and about having civil discourse about huge, over huge issues, right? Fair warning, we recorded this podcast a few days ago in Maggie's hotel room at midnight as soon as Maggie arrived for a video shoot I helped coordinate with a huge media platform. In a few weeks, I'll be able to share more about that, but not right now. So remembering that this is recorded at midnight is a huge key to getting through this conversation. At certain points, it's going to sound like we are hammered, like we are super drunk. I didn't get all my conversations out super well, and sometimes Binyad and Maggie's answers uh, are a little bit here and there. But stick with me, stick with us. If you wade through some of this tired conversation, you're going to find some beautiful, beautiful gems. Binyad and Maggie are amazing humans, and I can't wait to introduce them to you. Okay, let's do it. I have two brand new friends with me on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining me. It is 1140 at night. 
uh, Maggie, one part of this conversation just got in from Traverse City, Michigan. And um, so thank you for joining me so late. You guys have a full day of filming tomorrow. Um, we'll get into what all that means very, very soon. But uh, thank you so much, Maggie Anderson and Binyad Sharif Sharif, for joining me on the Let's Give a Damn podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So uh, we are going to get into why you both are on this show very, very soon. But before we do that, um, and my relationship with Maggie is a few minutes old, and I've known Binyad for less than uh, about a week now. Uh, Saturday, Saturday mm -hmm. will be a week. But so much has happened in the last week, which I'm excited to share with some of the Let's Give It M listeners today. But before we do that, we'll start with Maggie, if you don't mind. We'll start with you. And why don't you share um, some of your story, the people, places, and things who shaped you. And you and Binyad met in uh, May of this year, so earlier this year. So stop short of that, but just share. When I, whenever, when I say, what's your story? Who are you? What has made you who you are today? Like, what comes to mind there? Share that with uh, the Let's Give a Damn listeners. Okay. Well, um, I guess I like grew up in like a basic middle class American family. Um, my mom is a teacher. My dad is like a mechanic man. Uh, I was privileged enough to go to like a private Catholic school. I grew up like very Catholic conservative family. I'm like a politics nerd. I like to read okay. books for fun, <laughs> and I go out and like debate people for fun, which is like bizarre for people my age. I love tattoos, I guess. I don't know. That kind of sums me up a little. Tattoos, politics, school, reading, yeah. <laughs> conservative Catholic family. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's great. That's mm -hmm. great. That's a good place to start because I think some of that even. So do you have any tattoos? I have 12. 12. Yes. Okay. And how old um, are you? 19. 19. So did you get them all post 18 or did your parents were like, they were cool I, with it or how did that I got work? my first one on my 18th birthday. Okay. I got about 10 this month. Really? Yeah. Well, I got one two days ago. I got like a yin yang sign with like flowers. So they're kind of smallish or they're pr pretty? They're pretty large. Like my whole arm is covered. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. I am also a tattoo. You can't see my yeah. arms, but there's, there's, there's a lot. Yeah, yeah. I have for my uh, arrows for my kids and anchor for my wife mm -hmm. here. Um, cool. I love tattoos as well. So that's a good part of this story. Wonderful. And um, Binyad, let's go to you. Share, uh, again, leading up to this past May. Give me, give me some of your story. I mean, I grew up in northern Iraq, Kurdistan region, and uh, that's where kind of uh, my culture and my upbringing with my father, who was a, he was an English literature major and he worked for the U.S. government, and he was uh, he encouraged me to learn English. So I've only been here in the U.S. for about two years now. I came here early 2017, uh, and I think my father and my uncles have had a big impact on me where in my country where you uh, engage in these political conversations around the table and around the family and you exchange these views about politics and politics is a big part of life and that part of the region I think uh, you whether you like it or not your life is involved around politics because it's it dictates a lot of things in life and it's much more uh, ingrained in society I think uh, but we, my family, my dad uh, applied for a program called SIV, Special Immigrant Visa, because of his affiliation with the U.S. government. He was a translator for them and worked for them. And uh, when we got our visas, 2016, late 2016, uh, that's when in 2017 we came here to the U.S. and we 
we were Facebook, the Muslim band, the travel band, uh, where my family and I were deported back to Iraq because of uh, the country we were born in and the religion we had uh, as part of the executive order at the time. Uh, and since then, basically, I was, I think I was thrown into this political debate and this uh, very heated conversation about immigration and refugees in the U.S. And at the time... I had to advocate for my family out of necessity and out of survivorship uh, to share the story of my family in order for us to get back here again and for my story to be for my family's story to be heard. And ever since then, I think I've been doing it more as a to share this part of uh, this point of view with the larger American society. It's it's no longer my family's immediate uh, interest in danger. I think right now it's uh, I want to really sure about our journey and uh, what that meant for us that day. Maggie, are you still Catholic? Yes. Yes. Okay. So you two, it's an act of God that you two ever even like came in contact with each other. Like you're from Michigan. Yeah. You're from Northern Iraq. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And then I think it was an act of God, you know, uh, that in May, um, Catholic Relief Services hired my good friend and now our friend Jeremy Cowart to shoot a campaign, right? The campaign was called Be Unafraid, correct? And it was bringing both sides of the conversation together, right? So it was uh, actual refugees and immigrants with people that there wasn't their viewpoint, but it was bringing them together to have a conversation about that and to capture really beautiful images, which for everybody listening, I'll put all of this, all the links in the show notes because you need to go see it for yourself. Let's start right there. How did you two get picked for this and how did you get paired up together? Like, again, it, all of this was very, call it God, your God, my God, whatever. Like, this was a really providential kind of thing. Like, th th this was intended to happen, right? So how did it happen? Because I don't even know that part of the story. How did you get paired up together? I mean, when uh, I, I got a text message from my coworker and he knew uh, Senzella, who was part of the... Yep. arranging the whole photo shoot. And uh, they told me about this campaign. They're looking for people, immigrants, refugees, and if they will feel comfortable sharing their story, being on the uh, video. And at that point, I'd, uh, I had been on media and shared my story before, so I was fairly comfortable. And I didn't really think much of it. I thought it was just going to be some uh, photo shoot. Kind of a one-off thing. Yeah, yeah, just a one-off thing. Uh, really didn't pay that much attention to it and uh, I was very relaxed when I did it because I, I really didn't think it was going to be uh, that detailed and that uh, deep. And when I, w when I got there, I really liked the environment, what they were doing and the people. And I, I just started talking to people. I made friends. I, the first person was Senzel. I didn't know her. I tried, made conversation with her. And at the time, I didn't know the premise of the show or the photo shoot was that to have people uh, who are uh, unsure about immigrants hmm. or refugees. So you didn't even understand that part of what was going no, on? No, no. So I was like, my coworker was like, okay, they're doing this. Do you want to be part of it? And I was like, yeah, sure. This sounds cool. I, I, I can be, uh, I'll do that. And, uh, and I go into it. I go through the photo shoots and everything and... Um, at some point, we had the four portraits taken, and just randomly, 
I get paired up with uh, Maggie because it was not a structured thing. It was, she, it was just like, it was just by coincidence that both of us were having our portraits taken because it was there was an interview part, there was like a short video part, and then the f uh, portrait part. And I go into the studio and Maggie's there, she's doing there, and they're like, Jeremy's like, okay, why don't you two get together for a scene? And I'm going to let Maggie share her side of the story. Yeah, how did you get point. involved yeah. in the whole thing? I was walking in the mall trying to get my iPhone fixed, and some lady kept trying to come At up. home? At, yeah. In, in Frankfurt, yeah. uh, Tennessee. Okay, yep. Okay, yep. And some lady kept coming up to me and was like, I want to ask you a question. I was like, no, I just want to get my phone fixed. And then, like, the fifth time she asked me, I was she like was like, do you think refugees should enter the country? And I was like, no, not one. And she was like, really? And I was like, yeah. Uh, I was the first person to say that, so they like wanted me to do it because they were, had a hard time finding people with my opinion, mm. uh, well, previous opinion. Yeah. Um, and then I was like excited because I love politics, so I was just going to get paid to do something I would do for free. So yeah, it was exciting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay, so so much has happened since then. I'm trying yeah. to figure out how to like, um, what how how were you feeling on that day when you. Was it what you expected, having to come face to face with uh, a, an, actual, an actual refugee? I, and yeah, what was that experience like on the day? I actually didn't realize that. I like should have. So like, neither of you. No. Yeah. I walked in there and I saw Sinzela. Uh, Sinzela. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, oh, of course they're gonna make me tell a refugee to their face. I don't want them to enter the country. So I was quite nervous after I saw them. It was really cool. It was my first time being on a set, so I was like very like jittery, I guess, to start off with. But it was very interesting meeting people from like the Middle East in particular and like hearing their sides of the story. So photo shoot happens, it's over. What happens afterward? Like did you guys, mm -hmm. I mean, that was back in May. Yeah. Um, what happened afterward? Well, during the photo shoot, we were like talking about Islam and stuff. Uh, and Benyad uh, invited me to like get coffee with him to like continue the conversation. And we did. And... I thought he was going to try to convert me to Islam. So I was like studying Catholicism because I was going to try to like you're convert to him up. to Catholicism. You're trying to beef up. Yeah. You're like, yeah. if you're going to try to convert me, I'm going to try to convert you. Yeah. And then I got there and we just like didn't really talk about politics or religion at first. We were just kind of like friends. And then we like eventually talked about it, but like respectfully. Mm -hmm. It wasn't what I pictured in my head. It rarely yeah. ever is. Which yeah. Is, which is the crazy thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We have this idea of what's going on. And what about from your perspective? So you left the photo shoot, you had this uh -huh. coffee and everything. What what was that all like yeah. in your head? Yeah, well, I mean, I didn't... We got our photos taken together. Mm -hmm. I asked her if she wanted to get coffee and continue this conversation. I went home. I still didn't know that this was a person who was uh, really not welcome to refugees. And then we, I was... So you're not to the photo shoot. Was no, it was, I, everything, kind of I was like, I was still yeah. oblivious. And I, I had been talking to a couple of the people and I was kind of sensing the others were not that welcoming as Maggie was or talkative and I was like wow some of these people are not really friendly uh, but I tell Maggie what's her name can I find you on Facebook and I find her on Facebook and I see her cover photo on Facebook is her at a Trump rally and at that point it kind of hits I'm like oh okay that's that's what this, this entire thing was about they brought together people like that and at this point I'm like okay I've already made commitments to go and have coffee for, with her but I didn't I didn't get this part of the story right, and I was getting nervous about it. And I looked her more on her profile, and I see more things that she shared, like more news outlets, articles, everything about 
supporting the travel ban and you know things like that. And at this point, I'm really hesitant to <laughs> go on with the plan. Uh, but I mean, I'm like, she was friendly and she didn't seem mm. that uh, confrontational. I was I, when I when I went to see saw her, I was like, maybe she has a different motive that she's just gonna. Th- throw these kind of uh, articles at me or something or that she's not up for the conversation. And it was a big unknown, basically, for me. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, when we get coffee, it was just, we just continued the conversation we had at the photo shoot, basically. Uh, I was just asking her, she just moved a week to Nashville, asking her about the city, what she's doing. Uh, We were talking about school, different things. Uh, And then, like, we were talking about religion we had a very good conversation about religion, which I didn't think that was something that we were going to talk about. Uh, it was we 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 really didn't get to the pol- really political stuff that uh, that first time. I think Maggie, did other people around you, like your friends, your family, did they all believe like you did? Was it kind of like sort of an echo chamber, or did you have other voices in your life that were? Uh, kind of challenging you on some of the views that you held or what was what was your environment like politically or just the kind of conversations you had about politics and about society about immigrants was it was it people that pushed back or was it all kind of like we're with each other on this yeah uh, I had a little bit of both so most of my like close friends uh, had the same like conservative views as me but they weren't as like extreme as I was so they were more like we should let refugees enter, but just like have background checks and like basic sure. normal stuff that already happens. And I was more just like, don't let them in. But um, my sister's very, very liberal. So she would challenge me a lot. And I'm happy she did because like without her and I was also a part of like a global citizen, like diversity group at my college, like before I moved to Nashville. And without being in that group, I don't think I would have been as like acceptive to Binyad's story. I like learned a lot in that group even though it hadn't completely, like, changed my views, especially, like, around the idea of pluralism. So I, like, focused on that, those ideas a lot, actually, when I was, like, with him. Have you traveled a lot? or Because I, I have found a lot of times that people that hold similar views, mm-hmm. and it's not always the case. There's lots of nuances, but a lot of times it is because, like, you know, they've been, like, a lot of people here in Tennessee that I know that have held some of these similar views, like, they've been to, like, Tennessee and Alabama, Kentucky, and then Florida once for vacation. Mm-hmm. So it's, like, a very much a – they're in their little circle, and they haven't gotten out. Was that sort of your experience as well? Kind of. Um, I, like, had only been in Michigan and various other places in the U.S., but ironically, my entire life, all of my friends have been from, like, foreign countries. Like, people make fun of me in high school because I was, like, the exchange student's friend every year, and then they leave. Hmm. Like, all my friends right now are from India, the Philippines, and Jamaica, which is, like – Bizarre, because I, yeah. I can't comprehend how I had those views. When, like, my senior year of high school, my two best friends were from Kazakhstan and Pakistan. So, like, I can't – I'm kind of horrified by my like, previous views hmm. and, like, how I came to believe them. Was it more you had a belief in a certain way and then you double – like, maybe it's your personality that you, like, doubled down on it and tripled down and quadrupled down where it, where it just, like, kept – you keep getting more intense about it? Because mm-hmm. I have I have a Enneagram 8, sometimes unhealthy Enneagram 8-like mm-hmm. personality – and I can see myself being that way sometimes where I have yeah. to like stop and say, do I actually mm-hmm. like, am I doing this because I can really argue the points really well or because it sounds good in my head or because that person that I really like agrees with me. And so I need to keep like, sometimes it's not even 
what I really want to hold to, but it, it's it's making sense, and I'm really good at arguing the point, and so I just keep going with it. Like yeah. what during that place in my life, I was definitely in a place of like intellectual arrogance, where for some bizarre reason, I thought I knew the solution to every single problem in the world, and even when I knew I was wrong, I was too prideful to say I was wrong. And so like I remember at the like being afraid thing and the interview part, I was saying things in my head. I was like, everything I'm saying is morally wrong, but I'm like not gonna admit to being wrong because it's like, I'd rather be right. I enjoy being right a lot. I like debate yeah. for fun, so. Okay, yeah. perfect. So you're at coffee, very civil. Uh, you get into some political and religious conversations, but again, very civil, not what either of you expected, right? You you both were convinced that the other was gonna try to convert them, right? So how do we get from there to here? Take us through that journey. Maybe we'll go back to Binyad for a, a bit. Like what happened from that point in your relationship months ago mm-hmm. to the point where you, yeah, tell that story and then we'll get back to Kamei because like, again, as you've alluded to several times, so much has changed mm-hmm. in your views and in your life and even in the direction, like the things that you want to do, right? So um, yeah, what what happened, Binyad, after those mm-hmm. coffee conversations? Yeah, well... After that day, we didn't really talk about uh, that depth into anything. But afterwards, we were like, uh, we enjoyed this uh, conversation and we would love to hang out more. And I think it was the next time when we hanged out. After a while that we got together, we started to get more political. And Maggie gave me the hint. She was like, okay, maybe I don't think we're going to agree on a lot of things. I think we have major differences Mm. in opinion. And I was like, I was playing at it. I was like, okay, let's see what really, what the differences are. And we were like talking about gun policy, things like that. And then I was telling her, wait, have you, did you hear about my story at the photo shoot? Because I wasn't sure if she knew, what, uh, if she'd hear me at all about the story. And she didn't know, she didn't hear about the story that I told at the photo shoot. And so I started telling her about how I came to this country, like, uh, who I am, who my family is, and uh, and yeah, I, I start telling her basically about my experience being deported, and at that point, I think was when uh, I could feel that Maggie getting more emotional and stop uh, being casual, and at that point, she told me that uh, I mean she welcomed me to be here, and she was telling me that this is too much for her to take right now. And mm. I could feel that. So we kind of left it there. I just told her my story mm. and we were like, okay, we don't have to really get that much more deep into it. But I think when uh, what happened next was I was really surprised to get this text message from her. She basically texted me. She was like, okay, I've, I've looked you up online, your family story. And uh, yeah, she was telling me that uh, she cried and she was at that point her views had changed a lot she mm. told me that okay she really no longer believes in that because one she when she saw my story she thought it was a lie uh, and everything that she used as to believe in those things mm-hmm. was uh, she thought they were no longer true and she was reevaluating what she thought it was true and um all the things that she's believed in the past. Um, and at that point, I had no idea how to react to that. I was like, mm. okay, uh, yeah. I was. And just so we're clear for everybody listening, he went over it quickly in the beginning. Yeah. But Binyad and his family were coming over mm-hmm. on January 27th. Yes. When 
I remember that day mm-hmm. so, so clearly. Yeah. Mostly because I spent that day and for days after horrified, sick to my stomach. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't want to do anything. I was so fucking, like, I was just mad. Mm-hmm. Like, I was angry. Like, it was affecting my mood. And it was just mostly out of, like, sadness that, like, this can't be happening. This, mm-hmm. like, literally. And I'm a I'm son of an immigrant. Yeah. And technically a refugee. My dad fled Guatemala during the Civil War. So I'm a recipient of the kindness that this country displayed toward, you know, my father because he came here, you know, at first illegally. Like he came he came in here and then went through the process and his family came over and, you know, they've most of them have been here ever since. But yeah, you were coming over here and you got you guys got the news mm-hmm. at on your layover, right? In yes. the Cairo airport, mm-hmm. right? So you guys are on your way here. Like you're about to get on your last plane, I guess, like mm-hmm. the Cairo yeah. to here, maybe. Yeah. And they were like, "You can't, no, yeah, you can't get on." Uh-huh. Yeah, so everything that, was shut down. Yeah, that story is. I mean, we could spend the entire time talking about it, but that day we in in Cairo, we're going through the regular immigration paperwork. We're and everything's okay. They they actually even approved us to go board the plane. We were actually going through security. Wow. And we were literally. If we had been maybe hours earlier, gotten there hours earlier, we could have gone on that plane and made it to JFK. But um, then during security, the guy shouts at us. He's like, wait, there's something wrong. We need to recheck your papers. And that's when the brick hits us. And uh, we are completely speechless when they tell us that, okay, we're going to block you guys. And they confiscated our papers and passports. And... Um, it was really depressing and we because we our lives were literally in the suitcases we had and by the time the travel ban was going to be over our visas would have expired mm. and literally years of uh, hard work and pain and unsettling weight for that moment was going down the drain just because of uh what we thought was really a timing issue because if we had come just a day earlier none of this our lives would have been much more smoother yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, uh, a couple days earlier, yes. you'd you would have been in, exactly. and even if you would have gotten, to, I mean, honestly, if you would have mm-hmm. gotten to, I mean, our TVs were filled with images of people that had gotten to JFK yeah. and Laguardia, mm-hmm. like they had gotten here, but then they mm-hmm. were stuck there. You can't leave. Like mm-hmm. so, in the air, the Muslim man went into effect, yes. and they got stuck at the airports for days and days and days. And mm-hmm. I interviewed Becca Heller uh, a few weeks ago. She started IRAP, the mm-hmm. International Refugee Assistance Project. And they rallied at that moment, that day, they rallied thousands of lawyers mm-hmm. to fly in and just like park themselves at the, at the air. And they did an amazing work. They got so many people through and they stuck with them. And it's really a fantastic yeah. uh, organization. And Becca's amazing. Mm-hmm. But um, so I just wanted to make that clear for everybody because yeah, you yeah. kind of like said it, uh-huh. but it's like that, that was he the was, day. Like mm-hmm. you're the first person. I mean, I've know a lot of refugees even here in Nashville. And that's a big part of my heart is working with people that are coming here and scared out of their fucking minds and like don't know how to be and exist here and to help them get, but you're the first person that I met that that you were directly affected that day. Yeah. Um, and so why don't, mm-hmm. uh, Maggie, why don't you tell me, so he kind of explained some of the things that you even like texted and whatever, but like, what was your process like going through this? Cause again, you went from being even among your friend group being the extreme one and uh, it's obviously very different than you think today. So what was that process like for you? I actually remember those days. I like went out and like debated people on the streets of Traverse City like to fight for like the Muslim ban and stuff in general. 
um, I actually saw his family like on the news, as he said, and I was like sitting in the room with my sister and I was like, this is liberal propaganda. Like they're taking his story and generalizing it. It's like, well, you saw his. Yeah. I Googled the day that it went out on news. I saw his story and I never realized it, but I couldn't know how to pronounce his name. Mm -hmm. So I Googled like, how do you pronounce Banyad? And like that video of his family came up and I like was sitting in my office at work and like had realized I'd seen it before and the things I said. And I just like cried for a good 20 minutes because I was like, I literally fought against this family entering the country when they were like in danger. I also deleted all of my things off my Facebook at that moment. <laughs> like, like I was like horrified and shocked by what I believed. And like, I can't comprehend still that I would like still thought that was like what was true. It like horrifies me. That's like the best word, I guess. What were the things that convinced you that started the, was it just hearing a story? Was it just meeting well, an actual? I had actually met refugees before. Mm. I don't, I met like a refugee from a priest from like Africa, but like meeting his, like meeting him and hearing his story and like seeing a Muslim who isn't ex extremist, like I pictured all of them in my head. Yeah. And then also after seeing that video of his family, I went into like a, like I started searching statistics and Googling and looking at things from both liberal and conservative sources rather than just conservative sources. Mm -hmm. And it caused me to change my mind. Are there any other issues that you have changed mm -hmm. your mind on? I'm not looking for yeah. like your whole like political like buffet, um, but just like, has this spurred on other changes in your life? Some, yeah, a lot of changes actually. Yeah. Uh, I used to look at every single political issue and I would be like, how can I be right when I debate a person? But now I, I look at every issue and I'm like, this is a problem and what is the best way to solve it? So now I would say I'm like directly in the middle politically, which is kind of hell because I don't know how I'm ever gonna vote for anyone because I'm like, I'm like half liberal, half kind of conservative. Yeah. So it's a bit frustrating and lonely politically, which is like annoying because I'm such a political person and it's such a big part of my life. But I think it's the best place to be because it's like relatively unbiased. And maybe for now, yeah. right? Like maybe mm -hmm. it's a for now thing. Maybe this will help you like, yeah, learn how to approach things better. And then you might lean one way or the other again, you know? Yeah. That's crazy, right? Mm -hmm. Like what we're talking about right now is crazy, y'all. But here's here's why I'm loving this story. This is why when you told me, I was like, I got a contact. You know, my friend introduced me to the co-founder of an unnamed organization because I don't want to give it away right now. Uh, so Maggie's in town and Binyat is here because for those listening to the podcast, because tomorrow they're going to film a, they're going to do a video shoot with a very prominent millennial focused media company um, that, is, that flew here from New York to film them. Um, and you'll see it soon. We'll, we'll share it when the time comes, but very, very exciting stuff. So is there another part of your story? Mm -hmm. Like, has has anything else changed in your life that uh, uh, that you would want to share? Yeah, I changed my career path. Okay, so what was it before? I wanted to be like somewhere in like politics. I was still okay. like leaning towards law school, kind of, but um, I was going to essentially do the opposite of what the I'm opposite. planning to do now. Yeah. <laughs> but so now I want to become an attorney, a uh, human rights attorney. That's like the like social name, but that doesn't actually exist. You just take on cases right. to like help. People and so I'm gonna like help and advocate for refugees and immigrants and have them help them enter the country. That's insane. Yeah. I've got to connect you with my friend Becca at IRAP because that's mm -hmm. all that's all they do. That's yeah. literally the, the entire organization is um, lawyers mm -hmm. that are 
giving some or all of their time yeah. to help immigrants and refugees. It's beautiful work. And mm. um, this is really fascinating. And I want more of like these conversations need to happen more, right? Like this is the special thing about this. This is what I started saying five minutes ago before I got distracted is that, you know, the yelling and the screaming um, on social media and in person, but it's easier to do on social media because there's less accountability there and you're not looking at a human in the face that has gotten us nowhere, right? Like, like nowhere. I'm not talking about like a little bit. Yeah. No, no, we have not gotten anywhere. We are not moving the ball down the field at all. We're just more polarized than ever. And whether you like Donald Trump or not, those listening, you have to agree that he is he's crazy, first of all, and he's just very polarizing. He is spurring on so much of the division that we have, right? Like every every political leader, mm-hmm. but it's just like, it feels just way more intense. Like I'm not an old person, but I'm not super young anymore. And I remember different political, you know, and it's just, it. this one just seems so much more. And so, so we have to spend so much more time and it's more effort to just slow down, breathe a little bit, and have these conversations because when these conversations are had over coffee and over an extended period of time and friendships start and friendships blossom and like changes happen, it's a really beautiful thing. Yes, it really is. Uh, and I just want to also say that what like what you wanted to become as and you said IRAP is doing is when we were stuck in that situation, that was literally the the miracle that we were waiting for. And the only help that we were we could thing that somebody has was lawyers and people who were fighting that much on behalf of us and we because you you can't really fight it against an executive order right and uh yes yeah, it was uh, the miracle work that uh got us back here and like you said and before just getting here to the u.s uh we'd hear about the rhetoric that trump was uh saying over the news and you i didn't really think much of it because i wasn't really I didn't know what to think of it. I didn't know whether any of it was real, whose side was real. I didn't have another angle into the story, but I was. we were kind of thrown right into the middle of everything and uh, had to unfortunately experience firsthand what this polarizing and division has created and that uh, you would be discriminated against just based on your religion or something you were born with. And I was really... I was like, this is not something that's happened before when we got hit with the ban. Like you said, I'm really glad that this is happening. I'm, I'm, I've been, after spending months being accustomed to the life here in the U.S. and uh, for a very long time, I was very, I couldn't speak to the media at all or be interacting with the public because I was so afraid of all the what what would happen and I just wanted to take a break from all the political things and everything I wanted to detoxify a little bit but after a while I started realizing that more people need to hear this and that's the reason one of the reasons why I wanted to uh, have shared my story with people and uh, with organizations and uh, campaigns and things like that uh, for people who've not been there that day to hear what happened to get that side of the story basically so Maggie, you've been on quite the journey the last few months. If you had a chance to put up a billboard mm-hmm. that all of your fellow Americans, this is your chance to communicate with them mm-hmm. one simple message that would hopefully get them 
moving toward a similar path that you took. So this is, mm-hmm. this is you know, people from all political persuasions. Like, what would you put on that billboard? What, what, would, your, what would your message be? You get, one, you get one shot at it. I would probably just put up, like, a picture of, like, a refugee family. And, like, in words, I'd say, what would you do if this was your family? Yeah. Just, like, put them in the perspective of, like, you were the refugee. Like, what would happen? What would you want? You wouldn't want to be stuck in your country and, like, have horrible things happen to you and your children. Yeah. It's powerful. And you got a one of your tattoos I uh, yeah. saw on your Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, if you don't mind, I'll yeah. link to it in the show notes of mm-hmm. this podcast. But so why don't you describe like what what it is and why you got it? Yeah. Um, on my 18th birthday, I had gotten like a little cross tattoo on my wrist, and then after this whole shift in ideology in Arabic, I got like love. And then on top of that, so it's like in a triangle, I got the Star of David. So it's like all three of the Western religions on my wrist. And then underneath it, I actually also have the words, uh, you could be more than you are. And so it's like a reminder or of like my change. So it's like pluralistic, like you should treat each religion and each person of each religion with like love. Mm-hmm. And then the you could be more than you are is like a reminder that I guess like what you don't know is more important than like what you do know and to like continue growing and like yeah be humble mm-hmm. listen stop talking so much yeah learn the story get mm-hmm. to know the people binyat if you so as a refugee who came here hoping for a better life and hoping to leave you know some of the horrible things that your family has experienced right um and you got a chance to hang up a billboard that everybody would see right what would you what would you put on it I think it would be something that shows uh, that basically people who are Muslim or different, that they really want the same things that normal average Americans want. And it's a brighter future for themselves and their family and to have a safe and prosperous future for everybody involved. Uh, I think that's something very simple that a lot of people don't understand very well. We don't we don't want anybody's share of the pie. We want to make the pie bigger for everybody. And and a lot of people can't get that or have, uh, it's easy to, yeah, I think, or, or now that I think about it, my slogan kind of would be, it's don't demonize something you don't know. Because mm-hmm. that's basically what happened was, uh, it was very easy when you, when you have a name or somebody that uh, you don't really know much about. You can paint whatever picture you want. Anybody yep. can paint any kind of picture they want. And you can just believe that because that's the only input you have of that. And uh, I just want to add, tell American, the average American person that not to have these very strong feelings about something they haven't interacted with before. That's super um, powerful. Yeah. I think that's uh, we all need so much more of that. And I loved where you started there, where you were saying that we all want the same things. If you peel back the layers of, you know, the the example I always use, just because this is, you know, I grew up in a very violent country where I saw firearms do lots of terrible things. So I'm pretty. I just don't. I don't like weapons. I don't like guns. I'll never own one. Right. But. If you peel back, you know, the guy who has lots of guns, uses them for hunting, uses them for sport, just has a closet full of guns, right? And he, um, you know, he's an NRA member, whatever. He sees those as a way of, that's security for him. That's safety for his family. Like, and it's, he can go hunt and get food or whatever. But it's primarily like, I feel safer because I have these guns. Like, I can defend myself. 
Well, I want safety and security as well for my family, which is why that guy scares the shit out of me. Like, because mm -hmm. I've seen so many of those things go awry. There's a guy I follow on Twitter where almost all the things that he tweets are, he just finds stories of people that, you know, this guy that's cleaning his gun and shoots himself in the groin or this kid that finds his dad's gun and blows his head off. Like it happens every day in our country. And so like, that's what I'm thinking about is like, I would rather, um, I had a guy that called me out on that and said, you're a horrible father that you wouldn't defend your family. And I was like, honestly, if somebody wants to kill me, I just don't value my life that much. Like a, I'm worth more dead than alive that my life insurance policy will take <laughs> care of my family for a long time to come. My wife hates when I make that joke, but it's true. <laughs> But if you peel back the layers there, that guy wants mm -hmm. security. I want security. That guy wants safety. I want safety. That guy wants his family to be safe and you know prosperous and successful, and I want the same thing. We're just seeing two very different ways of getting that done. And that is an important conversation to have because that puts the humanity back in that person. When they're not an NRA member mm -hmm. or a gun-toting whatever. They're a human being that has a, you know, a wife or a husband or a partner and they have kids and they have all these, they, they want to be successful like that. We have the same things. So let's have a dialogue about that. Let's talk about that, mm -hmm. not your bumper sticker or whatever else, you know? Yeah. And I think immigrants and refugees that come here, they're probably one of the biggest patriots ever. And yeah, they this freedom that they have now, freedom to pursue happiness, their freedom of speech, whatever religion and ideology they want to have, they can, this is really very huge deal for them. And I think ultimately right now we're in the same boat. I'm in the same boat as Maggie and I want the very best for this country to be able to provide for our kids, you know, and we're in the same boat now. We are not uh, different people who are at conflict. I think that we have so much more in common than new Americans and older people who are born here uh, than people realize. I think we have, uh, in a lot of ways, immigrants really appreciate having that uh, opportunity. This is what needs to happen. And Maggie, I want to, I really want to commend you for your humility. Like a lot of people would not even get on a podcast or on a much bigger platform, which is going to happen tomorrow over video, like and say, I was wrong. I am horrified by my previous beliefs or my previous actions. So I commend you for that because so many people want to maybe change their mind, but they've been in a certain place saying a certain thing for so long that they're like, eh, that's too painful. I don't, I don't want to go through the, you know, the apologizing and the backtracking and the fixing all of my mistakes in the past. And it seems like you've really like embraced that. And that says a lot about your character. That says a lot about the validity of the changes that are taking place in your life. And for both of you, I'm so excited to continue following, you know, along on your journey and seeing this friendship blossom. But also I, I just, when I heard your story last week, Binyad, and I couldn't, it's all I'm thinking about this last week, literally. It's all I've been oh, thinking yeah. about, mostly because I've been trying to coordinate this video shoot tomorrow as well. <laughs> yeah. But um, it's all I've been thinking about because it's just, it's what I want so badly for America right now. Um, so thank you both for sharing your story. Thank you uh, for being vulnerable. And I hope that everyone listening to this podcast um, can figure out how this story fits in their own life and their own narrative and their own community and the things that maybe they're getting right, things that maybe they're getting wrong. Um, so yeah, thanks for sharing. Yeah. Thank you so much uh, as well. I'm really enjoyed this. And I also just want to reiterate what you said about uh, commending Maggie, because 
I know a lot of people who would have taken the defensive position oh, and yeah. uh, just ignored it or dismissed it in some way or another. And I think because of her situation in her community and circles being uh, supporting her previously, I think it was really hard to break away from it and explain her change to her community. It's it, I don't think it was an easy thing and I was observing as she was doing it. So I really uh, appreciate her being vulnerable and taking the step as well. Dear friends, I hope you're encouraged and challenged by my conversation today with Binyad Sharif and Maggie Anderson, both amazing humans. And we have so much to learn from both of them, from their stories and their journeys so far. I'm so excited to see what happens with them as they continue to grow in their friendship and as they continue to lead their friends, their families, their peer groups, their circles of influence. To find more information and all web and social media links for this podcast conversation and all the others, over 80 now, head on over to podcast.letsgiveadam.com. That's podcast.letsgiveadam.com. I never get tired of saying thanks for all the ways you continue to support this show because I mean it. I hope you never get tired of hearing it. So keep it up. Tell a friend. Give a dollar or five at patreon.com forward slash let's give a damn. That's Patreon dot com forward slash let's give a damn help us pay the bills if you can you are awesome this podcast episode was edited and produced by the incredible chad snavely the music is by our brilliant friend propaganda thanks for joining me i love you all same day same time next week peace <laughs>